I am excited today because I have an amazing guest and we had so much fun. We did a girls night, Friday night interview. It was so much fun. I had a blast. I drank a whole bottle of wine (laughs) and it got so long and we went for an epically long time. Her name is Mal Harrison. Okay. So what are you drinking? So I actually have tequila, tonic, and pineapple that I'm sharing with my partner. Um, And then I have wine for later as a backup. Awesome. (laughs) Good plan. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Well, cheers to Friday night. Yes. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk with you and just learn everything. There's just so many amazing things. Oh my gosh. Likewise. And like your voice is so sexy. I'm sure all the (laughs) listeners are loving it. And ASMR quality is so fabulous. It's amazing. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to do my little intro here and then I'll introduce you and then we can dig in. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Hello, this is Ruin Willow and you are listening to the Oh. Fuck yeah, with Ruin Willow Podcast. I'm so excited you're here today. I have an absolutely mind-blowing, fabulous, amazing, spectacular, wonderful guest. You will not believe how amazing this is. You have got to stick around and hear what she has to say. But if you are under 18, sorry, baby love, you do need to leave the podcast. This is for adults only. But you can come back when you're an adult. (laughs) So my podcast is all about sexuality, sexual health, erotica, things to help people enjoy their sex lives, their sexuality, their sexual health, whether solo with a partner or partners want to talk about it and obviously interviews. So today I am so excited to introduce you to Mal Harrison, who is the founder for the Center for Erotic Intelligence. She is the executive director She's a clinical sexologist. Ooh, I need to delve into that. How does one become a sexologist? And and a global speaker, eroticism philosopher, a relationship revitalizer. Geez, I could go on and on, but would you add to that list and welcome? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat to be on such a sexy show. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I feel very, you put the calm and welcome. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is the ultimate goal. So yay. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Absolutely. So one of my first questions I like to ask people is, what is your favorite sexual position? And I'm not going to complain if you tell me why. Oh, fabulous. I would say when I'm, so I just, I had a baby 15 months ago. So when I was pregnant, it was definitely doggy. Mm. I don't know why it just, that was that I just wanted to be slammed doggy style. Um, <laughs> and before and after, I mean, this might sound super vanilla and cheesy, but I love being on top. So <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Very good answer. I love that. And congratulations on your baby. Thank you. <laughs> got to, got to blend the mother and the whore, you know, aspect. <laughs> that's right. Really blend it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, I so excited to hear what you have to say. What is the first thing I'd like to ask you is what is the most exciting or your favorite thing that you've done in your career? In my career. You know, I think there have been so many fun, exciting things. I think it's the general meeting people and chatting with them. You know, I have such thirst and a hunger and curiosity for what makes people tick and and what gets gets them excited and what gets them going sexual or otherwise what their passions are why they think the way they think you know what drives them what motivates them and so i would say you know beyond any big accomplishment or you know a big speech or anything like this i think it's just the daily um getting to know people and and, and really, you know, learning about people that just makes me more than happy and excited and fulfilled. So I think that's probably my favorite, favorite part of my career. Oh, I can totally relate to that because I pretty much agree with all you said. I mean, that's just <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. So one of the things other that I wanted to mention is you you got the image, the 3D sonography of the erect internal clitoris, right? This is yep. something that, and I, I, I'll put the links for everyone down in the podcast notes to see this, but that is just really quite mind-blowing. I'd seen drawings previously, but they were just like, you know, just a section or whatever. So seeing it more 3D like that was just amazing and mind-blowing. Oh, it's it's wild. And to think that, you know, in 1998, Viagra came on the market, it was FDA approved. And that was actually the same year that Dr. Helen O'Connell, who is a urologist in Australia, did autopsies on cadavers and, you know, did this, this publication that there is this erect internal tissue. Mm. So, so and I believe there were some medical textbooks that had that in it in the 1700s. And for whatever reason, oh, wow. it, that information was omitted from most textbooks. So in 1998, she really brought this to the forefront that, hey, this internal, um, you know, erectile tissue exists, you know, the same type of erectile tissue that you find in the penis, it becomes engorged with blood, it gets hard, it swells up, it, you know, it changes shape, it looks completely different when it changes shape. And so then you fast forward to 2009. And of course, it, it happened to be two French doctors. Thank you, France. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, who did who used technology to look at what this erectile tissue looked like when it was fully engorged with blood. And so, it, you know, absolutely mind blowing, absolutely, you know, just revolutionary in the way we understand how the female pleasure organ, the only pleasure, the only organ that, you know, exists in the human body, regardless of gender, with the sole purpose of pleasure is the clitoris. Yes. So, yes. so it's wild that we're kind of just on the forefront of, of understanding it. Yeah, I think that's kind of crazy when you think about that. I mean, you think about all the anatomy that has been studied throughout the years. Obviously, this has been omitted on purpose. There's <laughs> no way, there is no way that somebody did not see that in all their studies. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's, there's, there are so many historical and contextual aspects as to why. 
you know, and I could go on all day about, about these things. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you're looking at the orgasm gap, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's only roughly 65% of heterosexual women who say they orgasm from sex every time. And that's not just penetrative sex. That's, you know, sex right. that can also end with tongue or finger or other, you know, toys, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Studies prior to this, this more recent study that sort of exposed the orgasm gap showed that it was about 75, anywhere between 75 to 85% of women do not have an orgasm from penetrative sex alone. And yet right. pornography shows that something completely different. So we've got, you know, such a cultural impasse, the culture and, and pornography and movies show us that this jackhammer move that we see and in heterosexual couples, you know, and it's, it's done in two minutes and that's it. As women, you know, we tend to think, or as as vulva owners, rather, we tend to think, oh, you know, that's what I should be doing. That's how my body should work. But that's not the case. And so it's it's really, it's just a huge platform of misinformation in some sense, if you think about it, the way pornography has become so ubiquitous in terms of trying to teach us what we should be doing and how we should be functioning. When the reality is, you know, there's this huge internal structure and we, you know, the majority of clitoris owners need direct stimulation on the glands clitoris, which is what most people think of when they think of the clitoris, the external part. But the internal part's really interesting. She's got two legs that when they become erect, they kind of go up and backwards, which explains why some people have orgasms from anal sex because they've Mm. got some long legs going on. Interesting. Yeah. And then the bulbs of the clitoris actually swell up on either side of the vaginal opening and they're just underneath the, the lips. And so they swell up and they actually make the opening feel tighter. They, they give the opening a big hug. So mm. everything about this, this girl is super sexy and fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is just absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I think about just the external part of a pussy, all different, all women. I mean, they just, they're just they like a fingerprint, you know, they're different. So the internal clitoris is the same way, is what you're saying. Yeah. And like, that's what's super fascinating to me too. And that's a big project that I think medicine still needs to consider. You know, we have this 3D sonography of the erect internal clitoris, but that's just one. Like imagine your idea of an erect penis being just one image of one penis. Like there is such variation of, you know, of our noses, of our ears, like all of our body parts are so different. So there's, you know, I would, there's this art project, a a gentleman in in London did, and he calls it the great wall of vagina. It should have been called the great wall of vulva. (laughs) Right, Uh, right. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see, you know, the next round of studies come out that, that show this variation with the sonography. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think about that. And so it basically, it doesn't, it's not a circle. It's more like a wishbone is what I saw on your website, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so just easier to see it if if anybody (laughs) wants to go to the the website to check it out. But yeah, yeah, it's a, a wishbone and there's 
an artist called Sophia Wallace who did really cool project she called clit rodeo and she designed this huge golden clitoris sculpture mm. um, which i think might still be for sale um, oh wow for collectors out there um, <laughs> and and so you know there's there have been a lot of different people trying to really get this this knowledge out to the masses because unfortunately you know i published this research in 2011 it was published in medical journals between 2009 and 2011 and and you know people are still i made a huge 3d internal clitoris model out of paper mache for mm. one of the women's marches in new york and it was mind-blowing how many other female-identifying people would come up and say, oh, that's a uterus. Oh, look at the big vagina. And I would scream, oh. no, it's an internal clitoris. So wow. you know, clitoris owners don't even know about this yes. part of their body. It's, it's, it's tough. That's tragic. I mean, it's just silly. It's just, it's a part of our body. It's been there for ugh, ever hundreds of thousands, I don't even know how many years. How is it that we don't know? I mean, it's just, it feels like a block. You know, there's just some sort of block that people don't talk about it. And I just don't understand how, I mean, just don't understand how that can happen with all the studies and of anatomy, the books and, but you said it was around in the 1700s. So people were documenting it at that point. Yeah, they were documenting the tissue as being erectile tissue, but they didn't know what it looked like or how it functioned internally mm. when it was erect until we had this sonography. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of amazing women who could tell you otherwise, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, Freud was also, I always call Freud, people are obsessed with Freud and his psychology and this and that, but I call him the world's greatest clip blocker. Yeah. Because, because um, back in his era, they had something called the marriage manuals. And they were sort of like the modern day Cosmo or Better Homes and Garden, Better Homes and Garden. I mean, I don't even know, whatever, you know. Sure. Like, popular. Yeah, popular mags. And, uh, and so he wrote that women who had an orgasm from stimulation on their clitoris were infantile, childish, and immature. Oh and my gosh. women who had orgasms from penetrative sex alone were real women and mature grown women. So you can only imagine what type of ideas this perpetrated among society. You know, a man and a woman get married. And this is all very much in heteronormative times, obviously. Right. Yes. And they get married and it's like, oh, did I marry a little girl? Is she immature? Oh my gosh, I don't want him to think that, you know, oh, I'm this way. So so that I think probably spawned the sort of the culture of faking it for so long. Right, that, right. That and the fact that, you know, back then, if you didn't have the best relationship with your partner, marriage was not really about romance or love for the most right. part, it was, you know, property and and wealth and family and, you know, staying within certain classes. And so marriage survival. was survival. Yeah, it was survival. And so, you know, faking an orgasm was in some sense survival. So mm -hmm. it's... What a pleasure we get to have now to have the freedom to speak up and say, hey, I know you finished, but I'm not finished. Do you mind eating me out? Could we exactly. use a toy? You know? And 
fun for all parties involved. There's nothing wrong with it, you know? Exactly. Well, I've run across stats, and I don't, you probably know better than me, but we're like nine out of 10 women do not come from penetrative sex. It comes yeah. from clitoral stimulation in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. And then look at porn and it's like this jackhammer, you know, stuff right. going on. And like, I like being pounded just as much as the next girl, but that's not going <laughs> right. to make me unless I'm playing with my clit, you know? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I've run into people that have flat out told me I'm wrong. They're like, no, you're not right. I'm like, yes, I am. Go research <laughs> no, it, right. fucker. Go research it because it's <laughs> on right. the fucking internet, fuck face. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell them. Yes. <laughs> oh, I will. And I, you know, I like to talk about things too. People talk about the, the G spot. I'm like, well, that's really just the internal clitoris, you know? Totally. And that's, you know, that's also debated in medicine and people throw it around like the G spot and they think it's like this one spot they can just hit and make somebody come instantly. And it's just, right. again, just this, you know, morph of misinformation. Yes. It's, um, it's actually called the clitoral urethral vaginal complex. It's where the clitoris, urethra, and vagina all connect on the anterior back wall. And it's not really a spot. It's a whole area with a lot of nerves. And, you know, some people, for some people, it's very sensitive. For some people, it's too sensitive, you know, mm-hmm. and deeper part, you know, of our anatomy. And, you know, for some people it works, for some people it doesn't. We're all different. So, but it's not really like, you know, a specific spot where, you know, the male prostate's a spot, you know, you can can find the male prostate and really, you know, that's the male G spot. But for us, it's a bit different. Right. Yeah. It's not this like a magic button that you find and you can just push and the person, the woman's going to come or the female is going to come. You know, every woman is different too. And that's the other thing that drives me crazy is that people don't realize how much you have to study your partner because of what we talked about earlier, that every female is different. Every anatomy is different. Totally. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just not that easy. You're going to just pound somebody or push a button. It's not that easy. We're more complex than that. A hundred. And you know what? I have to say it's the same for, for people with penises. You know, mm-hmm. some yep. are like, my balls are super ticklish. Don't right. go there. Some, right. you know, want to have like, I've been blown away when people are like, can you scrape your teeth a little bit? And I'm like, what? It is <laughs> right. like, like, what are you talking about? But they're into it, you know, or some people want their yep. nipples bitten or, you know, everybody's just really different. And talking about sex is fun. And that's why the foreplay should be discussing it while you're out at drinks before you've even gone to bed together, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, you need to keep talking about it and you need to be, you need to be honest, not this faking stuff like we were talking about. And, you know, I, I've run across in my on social media, whatnot, people where women actually have not even had an orgasm or realized they've even had one, or maybe they've never had one. And that is tragic and sad because that means there's something really wrong and there's no exploration. There's no reading how, how. It's affecting. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets 
and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven or spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Yeah, I mean, I would say modern day terrorism is having three children and never having had an orgasm or even one child. I mean, you're putting your body through a literal like, you know, battle, like trauma and you can get pleasure. (laughs) That's, and, and unfortunately that's, that's the reality for a lot of people. I had a client a few years ago, she was 58 and she had never had an orgasm and, and she had been married for many years and then she divorced her partner and was dating again. And she was like, can we please have a session? Can we please have a session? I was like, sure, sure, sure. And she said, now I was on a date with this new, you know, there's passion, flirtation, all this chemistry. And we got back to the apartment and he wanted to just go down on me. And I didn't know what to do. I did. She, she literally didn't know how to handle a guy just wanting to please her. It was so wow. out of her repertoire. Wow. And, and so to me, that was really, really just fascinating and telling and like, you know, she's, I'll be 40 soon. So she's only 18 years older. Well, at the time, you know, she was, she was 58. This was a few years ago. So, but you know, it was, it was mind blowing to me to think, you know, there weren't that many generations ago when expectation was, okay, this is about my pleasure and not about yours. And, and that was, you know, the status quo. And now I think culture is shifting and we are seeing, you know, I think if you're a true gentleman, ladies first, you know, because I feel like if yes. somebody makes me come, I'm like, you made me come do whatever the fuck you want to be now, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and and that closes the orgasm gap. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if, totally. if she's, you know, the person with the vulva that's already come, then can be the person with the penis's turn. But, you know, there's such an orgasm gap that 
if she isn't attended to, it may not happen. And that's just tragic and sad. So yeah, ladies first. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or people with vulvas first. <laughs> yeah. However you want to say it, it's all good. Yes. I feel like, and you know, even if somebody has um, premature ejaculation, cause that's real. It happens. Yes, or yes. you're in a hot moment. Like it's all good. So go down on someone. So use your fingers. So get yes. a toy out. Like you're on an erotic exploratory journey with somebody just because one of one person orgasms doesn't mean it's over. So exactly. And you know, sex toys are amazing and I'm a huge connoisseur of sex toys. So I'm not afraid to talk about that. And I mean, even if the premature ejaculation happened, I can't talk, premature ejaculation happened, there is, yes, there's a mouth, there's hands, there's sex toys. Yes. It doesn't have to be over. Yes. And wild to me, I saw a tweet today, and I don't know if this is true or not. It was like a tweet with an image, but it was like saying, it was Nick Cannon saying he doesn't use sex toys because he feels like it's, it's competition. I don't know if he actually Uh, not, it's just on Twitter. So FYI, but you know, there, there have been questions through my career from people, you know, from all genders expressing this fear or concern. Will my partner think that, you know, my sex toy is better? Will my partner feel insecure or inadequate? And I just, I feel like if somebody thinks that a sex toy is going to outdo them. Let me just remind them that a sex toy is not going to, to, you know, make out with them. It's not going to have chemistry or intimacy. Sex toy is an accoutrement. It's a condiment to your meal. It's, you know, cream on your ice cream and fruit. It's not, it's not the main course. So, you know, they're fabulous. I love them. I, I have so many as well. Um, and they're so fun to use with partners, you know? Oh, yes. Yes. Like these people are missing out. It's like they're, they they're eating ice cream without putting like, you know, fun stuff on it. <laughs> right. I like to use the word enhancement. It's an enhancement. It's not yes. the integral piece unless you're being solo at the moment, but it's an enhancement to the interaction. It doesn't have to be a replacement. It doesn't have, does it really matter if, the woman comes from a sex toy or maybe maybe the man has premature ejaculation who cares as long as they both come what difference does it make how it happens exactly i love enhancement that's brilliant so perfect so what is your favorite sex toy i have to ask you because i know my favorite one and i just recently got it oh i can't wait to hear yours (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh fucking blew my mind okay you go uh, first what's your favorite one (laughs) i love the oscillators I prefer mm. satisfiers. So they're the the toys that, and Womanizer is another brand. They're very similar. And there are other brands out there who are now using the same oscillating technology. So they, they produce vibrations, but the oscillating technology kind of mimics sucking of oral mm, sex. Yes, right. Kind um, of like a clit sucker. Yep. So they're yep. like Air Pulse. I think Dame Products has one out as well. Unbound Babes has just released one as well. I think pretty much everybody's releasing these things because a 58-year-old client I was telling you about, she finally had her first orgasm with one of these. Oh, (laughs) nice. Fantastic. And I believe that would bring it on. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So what's yours? I can't wait to hear. Okay. So I love, well, I call them, I just call them clit suckers because clit suckers to me. And I'm a total clit junkie. (laughs) I'm a total external clit junkie. 
like to call myself that I'm a clit junkie. And I have just tried this, this toy. I have never climaxed this fast from a toy ever. I have probably almost 40 sex toys. Wow. This is called the Zumio, Z-U-M-I-O. And I have that there's three models. I have the Zumio X. Oh my fucking God. I never have climaxed as fast in my life as with the Zumio. And it's, it's interesting because it looks like a pen. Okay. It's a very, it's made by women, obviously designed for women. It's an external clitoral stimulator and it looks like a pen tip of it is very, very, very small. So it gets very, very concentrated in the pulsation that it delivers. And it has, I think, 12, 12 levels. Oh but, my gosh. I just Googled it. I couldn't help myself. This looks amazing. <laughs> I know. I am serious. My favorite toy before this was a clit sucker. Like we were talking about the clit sucker ones oscillating. Whatever. No, nothing compares to the Zumio. And I, now I can't wait to try the other two styles of the Zumio. So I have Zumio X and it looks like a pen. It does. And how fabulous, like if you have family or a housekeeper or anybody who's like digging in your drawers, kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, (laughs) and you're like, oh yeah, that's just like my face massager. That's no big deal. Right. It doesn't even look like a traditional sex toy or sex toys that are on the market. It looks so different. I mean, you could be walking around carrying and it looks like a big giant pen. Oh my gosh. It's fabulous. I feel like the, the only thing that could make it better is if they turn them in. I mean, vaping is horrible, but I have so many friends who vape. I feel oh, like yeah. it's like a vibrator. That's also a pen would be <laughs> too much. Right. <laughs> crazy. It's just oh so targeted. God. It's just so, and it's so quiet. It's a very, very quiet toy. That's the other that's, thing that blows my mind. <laughs> so needed. That's so perfect. I feel like with something that quiet, you could just like literally be like on a bus or like on the train, like oh, yes. over here, you know, with my, no device. one would know <laughs> <laughs> you go in the bathroom at the bar. Nobody will know you even have it or you're using it unless you're going to scream your head off, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. And the other thing that's blown my mind, which now I have to try their toys. I just talked to did an interview with CEO from mystery vibe. Have you heard of that company? Oh yeah. Was it Stephanie that you spoke with or no? Oh my gosh. He's from England. Som. He's, he's Indian descent from India. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So Stephanie, Stephanie started the company. I think she stepped oh, okay. down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. got you. I actually got my mom one of those for mother's day. Did you? Oh, nice. Good, good move. <laughs> 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 so I want to try theirs because they've simulated created the toys after the movement of a hand, you know, like the bendability of it just blew my mind when I was watching their videos, how bendable and the ability to shape to the different body types. That's like mind blowing. And imagine what you can do with a partner in terms of like bending yes. and stimulate, like they're, I, I still have mine. They're really, really phenomenal. I, I love, 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 love street vibe. It's so good. Still the is that still the only toy they have or do they have other ones now? Oh, they have three now. So they have one that actually will help men stay hard. Oh, and, wow. oh it's mind blowing. And, and it can shape, it can change shape based on, you have to check out their website. It fits any size penis. And it also has a portion of it that stimulates the vulva and the clit. 
as oh a part God. of it. And he told Sweet me a story that made me want to cry because he said this was his most moving story ever. So there was a man that had, I don't even remember what happened to him. Something happened to him where he was unable to keep an erection and he and his wife wanted to have a child and they didn't want to go into the doctor, get the little cup and, you know, get inseminated and all that. They wanted to do it more natural. Because of this toy, they were able to conceive on their own because it held him hard and they were able to conceive. I mean, oh my gosh, is that beautiful. not the best story ever? That is, that is so wonderful. Oh, oh I know. Amazing. Isn't technology just like, oh, it's so wonderful. I just, I wish they could, you know, everyone asks about sex robots and like, are they going to take over the world? And I'm right. always like, you know, as soon as you make a robot who can like paint my toenails back in the house <laughs> and make me a martini, I'll be having lots more sex. You won't need a sex robot, you know? <laughs> it won't happen. It'll never happen. Yes, it'll <laughs> give people pleasure, but it's, they're not going to take over the relationship. So it's not going to happen. It's impossible. No. There's something about the, like human desire can never be replicated. Like there's, we truly love the chase. We love, you know, the erotic equation is excitement plus obstacle equals attraction. You know, you need that obstacle. There's no obstacle with a sex toy, not a sex toy, a sex robot. There's no obstacle. It's just... Right. You know, I mean, the only obstacle is really they don't stand up on their own. You have to hang them up on meat hooks at this point. So right. <laughs> getting them to, to stand. I don't, one of the things I did, and I always say like, I did it for research. And just some of my close friends, one of my best friends, he's like, yeah, right now that wasn't research. I was totally getting off to sex doll porn. It was so oh awesome. But I was like watching it for a couple of years. This is like in 2017, 2018, because that was like really a time when everyone was asking sex tech, oh my gosh, like, is this taking right. the world? Yep, yep. And it was so fascinating to see the sex doll and sex robot porn kind of advance. And there were more and more videos of it on websites. And that was so interesting to me to watch kind of evolve Sure. Um, over time. I mean, it's some of it's really like crazy. Some of it's really hot. I mean, as, as is with all porn, but, um, but it was, it was very fun to kind of see that take off as, as a thing, but the guys would have the hardest time, no pun intended, getting <laughs> the dolls to be in a certain position have not seen porn with Henry, the male sex doll who has like mm. an interchangeable penis and can recite Shakespeare and all of this. <laughs> um, so, I haven't heard that. Yeah. I'm waiting for porn with Henry. If the makers are out there, please. <laughs> I know, right? There. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it not there? That's odd. Someone has to have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just basically a big giant sex toy. And again, sex toys are never going to replace a person. So how could that ever take over? I mean, it won't. It'll serve a purpose. It will get people off. It will improve sexual health, perhaps to a certain point, but it will never replace a person. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some, there are some cases that I feel it could be positive. Um, Yes. Yes. For example, somebody may be otherly abled and terrified of, of, and they want, I mean, even not even other able, just anybody like if your right. first time you haven't been with a woman before or mm. male before. I mean, I actually think Henry, the male sex doll would be great for, for 
clitoris owners to practice on before they have sex for the first time. I mean, like everybody run out and get your teenage daughters, the, you know, Henry male sex toy, because do you really want them risking an STI or pregnancy before they've learned how to get themselves off? Right. Um, right. So if you can learn how to maneuver your body around another body, you know, it's not just an apparatus, but you know, the angles and, and what positions, you know, you need to, to sex, then that's going to build confidence and self-esteem in order to, you know, when the real thing happens. So, so I definitely, my mom got me my first vibrator when I was 15. Oh, nice. Because I had still, she had a Venus butterfly in her nightstand drawer. It was still in the box. Okay. It wasn't opened and I stole it. And so she was like, <laughs> so we're going to go on a little trip. And we went to the store in Atlanta. I have no idea if it's still there. At the time I lived in Atlanta, it was called Insurrections. And, and so <laughs> she let me, you know, pick out a few things. And she said, you know, it's really important that you know your body and, and you're aware of your body and you know what you like before you, you know, engage in any activity with anybody. And, you know, that's got to be your first priority. And I just wish, I wish that were kind of the, you know, MO for, for everybody because it's, it's just super helpful. Oh, it totally should be that way. And kudos to your mom big time, because I had the complete opposite experience and it fucked me up for a long time. Let me tell you. So I wish that all anybody who has a daughter do that. Even if you are single dad, somehow figure out how to get your child (laughs) a toy, a sex toy. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, it's harder for women to learn their bodies. It's just flat out how it is. And you know, men, it's easy for them to come. It's easy for them to learn their bodies because it just, it just is. Their anatomy is that way. People with penises just, it just happens. It's and so easy. They like yeah. wake up in their sleep and they've come all over the pillow and it's like, <laughs> you know, that to like, oh, my hand on it. Great. You know? <laughs> right. And, and I like to tell my story because it's very sad, but I still like to say it because I hope this doesn't happen to other people. So I remember being Gosh, I was pretty young. I was in grade school and I was so excited. I came to my mom one day and I said, Mom, I it feels so good when I touch between my legs. This is so amazing, Mom. And I was so exuberant. I was so excited. And she looks at me and she says, You shouldn't be touching yourself there. Do you know what that did to me? I mean, this is this is what this did. One sentence from my mother and one look from my mother. I no longer touched my my vagina. I no longer touched my clit. I became a grinder because I was going to follow her rule. Of course, I still I still masturbated, but I became a grinder because I wasn't supposed to touch it. Were you just like humping sofa arm cushions? Yes, pillows, (laughs) stuffed animals, you fucking name it. That is what I did. And (laughs) oh, I'm so sorry. I know. Oh, you poor thing. But it sounds like. You have definite, well, you clearly (laughs) have definitely evolved and you're making the world a better place by doing what you're doing now, which is amazing. You're saving other people. I I love to help people. I love to help them feel and feel good. And absolutely. So yeah, I've, I've completely overcome that, but I can tell you it messed me up for a long time. So people listening to this, probably people who are listening to this are not going to be like my mom because otherwise they wouldn't listen to this. You know, <laughs> they wouldn't even go there, but still like to put it out there. I love that you said 
overcome because you overcame it by overcoming literally. And that's so perfect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just definitely truly believe young women need sex toys to learn about their bodies. Not that they can't do it with their hands, but just so much more can be learned quickly and more efficiently with a sex toy. Just even a simple wand, you know? Yep. Or an electric toothbrush if, you know, (laughs) oh my gosh, Uh, there was a, there was a woman, gosh, I wish I could remember her name, but she was a, uh, she's a comedian and she, she told a story about that, how that happened to her. And then somehow got stuck and she had to go to the doctor and yeah, she had to go to the hospital. It was stuck in there. (laughs) I don't know how she got it stuck in there. I don't know. She must've pushed it all the way in. I don't know, but it was a really, she made it really funny. It was a funny story, but it was just like kind of mortifying at the same time. Be like, well, electric toothbrush stuck in my vagina. And you know, please help me. How mortifying for a teenager to go to her mom and be like, mom. (laughs) That's such a great, would you rather question? Like, would you rather tell your mom that you're pregnant or that you have an electric toothbrush stuck inside of you? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. How, how mortifying for her. She's like, this really happened to me. And she's like, make, I mean, maybe it didn't, but it was still damn funny the way she told the story. Oh, like, I'm like squeezing my legs together because it sounds painful, but also I know, right? so fucking funny. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Where did I, I've heard lots of stories too, you know, emergency room physicians and nurses have seen of what people have shoved up in themselves. And it's like, you know what? I mean, I get it, but you know, well, why don't you just use a sex toy? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you use like weird stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. That would actually be a really funny roundup to like, you know, ask, do a poll of like, I don't know, a Twitter poll or something and ask gynecologists, yeah. proctologists or ER doctors, like what's, what's the weirdest shit you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh man. Oh. And I mean, not to shame, you know, not to what, what's no. the saying, not to yuck anyone's yum, but right. some things are like pretty funny if you think about it. And like know, right? so there was a woman who went to college with someone I know who's older than I am. So I think they were in college together in the seventies and I was told the story. I didn't see it. I didn't, you know, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I, this woman has told the story multiple times and when she tells it, she's like kind of mortified. So I think it's a true story. She said that um, she lived next door to a woman who had to be taken out her house in an ambulance because she had been fucking her dog oh no when a dog ejaculates the the penis does something in a state i you know to ensure mating with the female dog and this dog was basically stuck inside this woman and i'm like how many hours would you sit with a dog stuck inside of you before you actually called oh my gosh and and yeah so like wouldn't go down so she couldn't get it out Right? I mean, that's cr- to me, like, oh all right, gosh. I'm going to yuck. I'm, I'm going to yuck that yuck because, you know, like, <laughs> I, like I love dogs and that just makes me cringe. Like that's a right? opinion. So that, that's yeah, a yeah. yuck. Like, that's a, I don't think that's a yum. I think that's just a yuck. <laughs> right. I know. Right. I mean, and it's not the dog's fault. I mean, no. you know, it's, been, it's been stimulated. It's not like it can like control that and be like, okay, I'm going to back away. You know, it's not going to happen. Apparently it was like some big German shepherd, but I was going to say, it must've been a big dog. Cause it wouldn't have been a little one. Cause they wouldn't have filled. Yeah. 
Oh man, that sounds like something that a comedian would go nuts on if they had that story. <laughs> yeah, that's like I don't know. Sometimes I people like people tell me so many like so many stories. There's the story of this guy who loved. My- I hear people's fantasies. So, and you know, they come to me and they're tortured. This one guy in particular, he was getting engaged and and he loved his fiance so so much and and they got married, you know, but he said, "Look, I come home from work. They didn't live together yet at the time. I come mm. home from work and I shut the windows, I turn off my phone and I put on my German wrestler porn and I watch these German women mud wrestle Mm. and I jerk off and I have the hardest, most intense orgasm Mm. I can ever have. And then when I'm with my fiance, you know, if I even have an orgasm, it's kind of a, you know, Mm. barely there, putters out. Sure, sure. And, you know, so people can be really, really tortured by their fantasies or True. by what gets them off. And, and you know, they struggle. And he came to be saying, should I marry her? Does it mean I don't love her? Like, you know, mm. all of these things. And, you know, the thing that, that I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, what, what gets us off and what turns us on doesn't mean that that's, that's our, our destiny for our life. He, he wasn't supposed to go right. marry German mud wrestlers, you know? Exactly. It's like separate. It's separate somehow. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, so I think fantasies are a really fascinating part of the human psyche that, that I love delving into. And that I love, I think when I was talking before about what I love most about what I do, that's, that's something that, that fascinates me. And, and I find them to be very paradoxical and, you know, a lot of times the things that would disgust somebody in everyday life for other people, you know, for the same person, it actually really turns them on in fantasy. So Mm -hmm. for example, we, you know, heard the story multiple times of the congressman who's very anti-gay and, you know, family values and this and that. And then it's that same person who's caught, you know, sleeping with somebody or tapping his foot in the, in the bathroom stall to try to sleep with, with a guy and, mm-hmm. um, and, or the same with women who, you know, go against prostitution and they're anti-prostitution activists, but they have these huge prostitution fantasies and, you know, they right. can all come when they're thinking about, you know, being a prostitute. Right. So to me, that stuff is so cool and so interesting. And I, I just love all of that. <laughs> it is very interesting. And the whole role of shame and how that shame trigger develops in people. I sometimes think of it as Pavlov's dog, something that maybe happened in your youth, yes. somehow triggered something. And somehow that got translated in your brain to being a sexual trigger. And it may have been a punishment you received. It may have been something that someone did to you, like, the you know, the whole spanking thing, the whole humiliation kink you name it, there is some sort of thing. And, and I think that, I mean, I don't study this shit. I'm not smart in that way. I don't have a degree. I mean, I ha- well, I actually have two college degrees, but I don't have a degree like you do in, I'm not a sexologist, but I feel like there is some sort of trigger that happens in their youth that brings that shit on. Yes, ma'am. And by the way, you don't need a degree. You know your shit. <laughs> you clear, you're, you're intuitive, you're experienced, and you know your shit. So... <laughs> You've got this. You're 100% correct. I mean, and that's, you know, that's a lot of people ask me about eroticism, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I yeah. 
started the Center for Erotic Intelligence and and people, you know, want to understand, well, what's the difference between eroticism and sexuality? Right. And I think, you know, our eroticism happens from the moment we're born. Every, mm. you know, experience, every emotion, every moment that happens throughout our lives, those are, you know, the daily weather that shapes who we are and, and how and why we become who we are. They shape our identity and, you know, so yes, those triggers happen and, you know, we may not even realize that the teacher who, you know, punished us when we were five is why we, you know, have a thing for MILFs when we're 25, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, eroticism is above all else, exclusively human and it's sexuality socialized and transfigured by the imagination and our will. Eroticism is first and foremost a thirst for others. It always has imagination. It always has invention. It has constant variation, whereas sexuality is just always the same. And I like to say that sex is to language. It's actually an Octavio Paz quote. Sex is to language what eroticism is to poetry. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think it's where we, and I think that's why fantasies become so troubling for people because eroticism is really where we assign meaning to our Mm -hmm. identities and to, you know, our eroticism can be, you know, I like this piece of art because it reminds me of, uh, or, you know, I, eroticism can be, you know, I assign meaning to the ring I wear or the scarf that was my grandmother's or, you know, the ritual I have around, around eating, you know, a certain type of meal, et cetera. So eroticism is definitely, you know, I feel it's where we assign meaning and identity to ourselves and our lives. And I think that's why when you cross hairs with sexual fantasies, it terrifies people sometimes. Right, right. You think that's why so many people are afraid to tell their partner about their fantasy. It's something that, you know, just because you have fantasized about something doesn't mean you actually want to do that in real life. Oh, totally, totally. And, but the problem is, I think because we've been so poorly educated about human sexuality and human eroticism that, you know, if we say to our partner, oh, I love watching orgy porn, or I love watching threesome porn, our partner automatically goes, oh my God, you want to do that with these people. I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough for you. You don't want me anymore. Yes. And then there's this big, you know, because people don't realize like, that's just normal and human and that's what we do. And regardless of whatever, you know, you want to think about your partner being, you know, this, this perfect goody two shoes and no (laughs) sexual fantasies. That's very naive. We all have sexual fantasies and there's something there. So you may as well accept it that, and you know, if you can accept it about yourself and not be terrified about it, then you're probably going to accept it about your partner. I think the problem comes where you can't accept it in yourself. So then you can't accept it in your partner. That's correct. Yeah, for sure. That's, sure. that's quite a roadblock and it's going to be, you know, lots of walls going on there. Oh yeah, for sure. Just need to break those down and move on and realize that just because you have a fantasy doesn't mean that you want that to happen. doesn't mean that you're going to do that act. It may be just some sort of trigger in you that brings you where you want to go. 
Oh my gosh. So have you seen the, I'm totally, not totally changing the subject, but I'm so curious. Have you seen the SNL skit about how Zillow is porn for people in their late thirties? Oh no, I haven't seen that. Tell me about it. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. It's like, it's the guy from Schitt's (laughs) Creek and he's like, you're in your late thirties and you can't stop fantasizing (laughs) about these houses. And he's like, you know, I wouldn't live in South Carolina, but if I did, I could have a big, sick mansion. I would (laughs) flip that bitch. And he's just like super into it. So of course, of course, I'm like every day looking at houses where I'm like, do we want to buy? It's expensive in this city. Like, why are we wasting so much money on rent in New York City? We should just buy a place. Right. Like, you know, all this stuff. And so I send a, a an email to my in-laws and my mother and my brother-in-law and his partner. And I, the subject was fantasy wet. <laughs> it's a link <laughs> to this like $4 million house. And I'm just like, this is such a treat for my eyes. Like there's a wine wall and like, it's just the most insane apartment. And so I like, I just sent it to them. I didn't have my partner on the email. Like he was busy working, whatever. Sure. And so, so later that night I show him, this is like me sharing my porn fantasy with my partner and getting completely <laughs> rejected. So later that night I show him this house and he's like, why is the stair railing against the window? What's wrong with this pool here? Like, and he just starts <laughs> criticizing my like fantasy house that I literally, you know, was wet over. Yeah. And I was just like so upset. And so I, I wrote into the reply all, I was like, I just showed Reed, my partner. I just showed Reed. It's what we all fear when we share our favorite porn with a partner. Oh, I know, right? He made fun of me. He pointed out all the things that are wrong, all the ridiculous, doesn't understand my fantasy, is still huffing. <laughs> so, so that, that you know, I don't relate on the porn and fantasy part because I've spent, you know, my life clearing that out, but it still affects me on the level of house fantasy, clearly. <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. That's just awesome. That's an awesome story. You know, what's really great about that kind of a thing is, and they're putting, they're sort of putting stuff out there that other people can't. And because it's a joke, because it's funny, they're able to go places that other people are not in the media. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, that's valuable. And that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> and like that helps us relate, you know, and, and, and discuss these things in, you know, in, in ways that we should be discussing them. I think it, it's a nice way to open a door for people who don't typically conversations. Oh, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like how I think of erotica. Like there's some people that love to read erotica in private. There's couples that will listen to erotica and it's a way for them to explore different areas and talk about it where it's not specifically on them. It's like, Hey, what'd you think about this character doing that? It's a way for them to explore or try out new things or maybe introduce their partner to something new without it being so focused on themselves. Totally. I love that. Like reading stories, listening to stories, it's, and you know, you're not watching a play by play, you know, as you would, if you were watching porn or, or a movie, you're, you're listening. So it's almost like you're kind of waiting for the bubble up of arousal to happen in your partner. And that's really exciting too. It is. It is. And it's a way to maybe, yeah, introduce your partner. It's like, Hey, what did you think about that? Instead of saying, 
I think it's like a way of like just really easing into something. If someone's really nervous about a certain fetish or something, an act to like be like, hey, let's listen to this book together and then be like, what'd you think about that? Or, you know, what's what's your thoughts on so-and-so doing X, Y, Z? Totally. It's it's such a great, it's a great lubrication for conversation for sure. <laughs> okay. You're going to think I'm really weird, but I drank so much wine. I have to go pee. Can you, do you mind if I take a pee break? No, please do. It's all good. (laughs) I'll do the same thing. Well, awesome. All right. We'll be back. (laughs) Okay. I am back. Are you back yet? Not yet. I'm here. Sorry. I was also taking a bite. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. (laughs) So now I can focus better. So much better. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so hard. Sorry. My mouth is full of chicken, not anything naughty. Although later, (laughs) hopefully it will be. (laughs) I know. Right. Absolutely. So Um, tell me how you got, how do you, how does one become a sexologist? So the, the word sexologist really just means somebody who studies human sexuality. So you can get certified as a sexologist by going to various, there's like sex coach you, you know, or accredited, accredited organizations that some people do, or you can get your master's in psychology and then you can get certified as a clinical sexologist, which is very mm. different than just a certified sexologist. Sure. And so a clinical sexologist, you have to put forth hours with your supervisor working with clients um, and couples as well. So you're, you're essentially doing the same thing as a sex therapist, but you bridge the gap between therapy and medicine okay. with your area of study. So, you know, a sex therapist might work with a couple who is, you know, going through a breach of trust or infidelity or, you know, whatever it might be. A sexologist can do the same thing. However, a sex therapist, you know, they could work with erectile dysfunction. A sexologist, a clinical sexologist would probably be a better fit for that type of Mm. problem. I mean, obviously there are, you know, different levels of expertise and success with, you know, sex therapists are wonderful and amazing. I'm not, I'm not dissing any of the, (laughs) any of the professions here. But, you know, I think the main difference between a sex therapist and a sexologist is that does bridge that gap. So somebody who says, well, I can't really have orgasms, you know, is Mm. it psychological? Is it functional? Is it physiological? Let's figure this out. So, so a sexologist does that. And then also, you know, it's, it's the study of human sexuality. You've got the psychology and then you've got the, the function and the physicality as well. Right. So you got the science of sex and you've got the emotion of sex and you've got the reactions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know, it's it's a really interesting sex therapy as an industry didn't really, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm having a sexual issue in my relationship, so I'm going to go to a therapist. Mm. And in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of marital therapists, you know, family marriage counseling. And 
they would try to treat sexual problems. And this would even happen with LGBTQIA folks who mm-hmm. would, you know, go and, and see, I have a gay uncle who, you know, struggled with being gay and actually went to theology school thinking that would, that would help cure him because, you know, back in his time being gay oh. was thought of as, as a mental illness and a sickness. You're right. Oh my gosh. So we've really come a long way, you know, culturally around these issues. But one of the things that even myself, that I have to constantly check in with myself, you know, what, are, where are my biases? Am I being yes. judgmental? You know, what's, what's in my rear view mirror. And, you know, I think a lot of times I, I hear stories from clients who come to me who say, we went to three therapists. We're all, we're, you know, we're trying to navigate having an open relationship or we're trying to navigate, you know, getting over a breach of trust or this or that. And they've not been successful because they've had practitioners who were, you know, very set in their ways and very set in their beliefs and sure. not willing to be open to you know, another way of doing something besides the heteronormative monogamy prescription we've had for millennia. So, well, maybe not millennia, but, you know, really since, since I would say Christianity sort of took the world over by storm, but so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody just has to really check themselves, check, check themselves. I know, wonderful, wonderful sex therapists who, you know, I talk to, I'll call and they're my colleagues and I'll call and say, Hey, you know, can you help me? Can you help me decide if I'm being biased here? What do you think of the situation? And I think it's really important for all of us to have those colleagues and connections that we can discuss things with openly and, and ask and be vulnerable with, because, you know, if we're not able to, then we're not able to help the people who need the help the most. Right. And it's kind of a difference between buying into everything you've been told and being open to maybe you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and quit being a fucking hog about thinking you know everything and you're the end all be all. And like, that's what I love about my job the most is that I'm learning something, you know, every day from other Mm -hmm. people and they're the ones teaching me. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to try my best to help people feel their best and be their best. You know, one of the things that I always say is, what is the purpose? I ask people this all the time. What's the purpose of this relationship to you? Mm -hmm. And I can tell so much from that question. And It's, it's wild because some people will just say, oh, well, we want to have kids. Oh, well, it's companionship nice. or it's, you know, this is my best friend. And mm-hmm. to me, the, the best answer that I, I won't say the correct answer because, you know, they're all correct because mm-hmm. it's right. whatever somebody wants for themselves in that moment. But the best answer for me is, <laughs> is the purpose of this relationship is so that we can help each other be our best selves every day so that we can inspire each other to be our best selves every day so that we can inspire each other to grow into better versions of ourselves every day and to me those are the those are the couples where I'm like shit can hit your van a hundred times over and you're gonna yes. be good to go. <laughs> right and and they kind of obviously must go at it as you know 
I'm not going to go on by what happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, yesterday. I'm going to deal with my partner, how they are today. And I'm going to adapt and I'm going to support and I'm going to make, I'm going to glorify them and they're going to glorify me. That's, 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 that's the ideal relationship in my opinion too. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah, for sure. I'm not even religious, but you're taking me to church. So (laughs) (laughs) for some reason, when we were talking, this popped in my head. So I interviewed a couple of uh, trans authors and they've expressed the feelings that, you know, years ago when we're, you know, homosexuality, gay people, lesbians, gay men work, it was considered on the, oh, I can't even think of the word when you're diagnosing someone with a mental illness, it was like a category on there. I can't even think of the term. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, and, it was, yep. It was considered a mental sickness. Right. Right. So one thing, one of the authors said to me was where they were back then is where trans people are right now. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I mean, so much <laughs> fur- further into the future. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, so, so gay men and, and lesbian couples and, and married couples, it's becoming more of the norm, but still people are cringing at the that's trans, you know, like it's, it's still seen as some sort of a freak. So interesting to me to see this shift in culture between, you know, this idea of a trans person being male to female cross-dresser that I think a lot of people consider trans, like, you know, it's, it's a derogatory term tranny, but I actually dated and had a substantial, meaningful, beautiful, sexual, hot relationship (laughs) with a male to female trans person called Jackie and just stunning. Like one of my most memorable favorite experiences in my twenties and, um, and Jackie, I mean, getting railed with a big, huge dick and having gorgeous <laughs> tits in my face. Like it just doesn't get any better than that. To be right? Wow. She was amazing. But I mean, she called herself a big old tranny. She'd be like, I'm a big old tranny, you know? And, right. Right. And so interesting now because so many people who are trans and there are intersex people that, mm-hmm. that I've met and, and even interviewed who are phenomenal forces of humans. And yes. I think it takes all of us getting to know and interacting with and engaging with these people before we have this cultural acceptance. You know, I yeah, think yeah. I think one of the reasons gay marriage was so easily accepted in past was because eventually, I mean, it wasn't so easy. It took generations. I'm, I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not dismissing that or diminishing that by any means, but I think it's because eventually all of us knew and loved and adored gay people and lesbians. Right. We knew, yeah. Or we knew someone. Yeah. We had an uncle or cousin or, you know, and, and so then now, you know, I have a really, really dear friend who has a daughter who's trans and she struggled with the daughter changed um, they's name. And mm. so my friend was struggling with saying they, and, 
using the correct name, uh, the correct right. technology. And so we, so I was like, well, let's practice on email. So we went back and forth on email. And now when I talk to my friend, she's constantly referring to her trans child as, as the name that she wishes to be called and as they, and it's beautiful and wonderful. And it's just a learning curve, you know, yeah, and yeah. You know, we are going to make mistakes and we're going yes. to mess up and yes, and nobody wants to hurt anybody and nobody wants to do that. But if we're making the effort and we're really, really trying, I think we're going to get there. And I think culturally we're going to get there because I mean, I, I am obsessed with and love my trans people. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there is a, there is a difference between cross-dressing and being a drag queen and being trans person there there's a you know there's a middle ground there are some people but there you know trans is definitely I think something that's very different than RuPaul's Drag Race and we're not really having that discourse in society as much as we should be having and I think a lot of heteronormative people I think they're just blind to all of that and they just loop everybody into the same category. And, you know, I, we're not, we're so much more than the categories and we're so much more than the labels that people want to put on us. But at the same time, we need labels to have our community. So it's, it's a very, it's a struggle, you know? I think it's a struggle, but I think it's it's important on both sides to have some forgiveness and to have some, okay, this person grew up in this time. So it's it's harder for them to say it the right way every time, except right. with practice, like you said, with your, your client that practiced and got that way. And, and finally, that became normal to them. That became second nature. But for a lot of people that maybe aren't exposed to this, it's hard for them to change their thinking to be like, okay. And some people are obviously just shut down. I'm not even going to think about that. That's wrong. That's stupid. No way. And other people are like, well, I'm trying, but I fuck up. I fuck up all the time. Like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about, I want to be inclusive when I talk about the internal clitoris and I'm very well aware that there are trans people out there who are clitoris owners. So you know, right. and right. even in our conversation tonight, I know I've said men or women and it's and as have I, yes. And, you know, I, I try to make the effort to say clitoris owners, penis owners, you know, vulva owners. And it's, it's so important. I mean, historically, yes, there's an orgasm gap and kind of sad that I'm sitting here trying to sort of fight for orgasmic equality for <laughs> heterosis women when there are trans people out there who don't have anybody fighting for them, you know? So, it's, you know, we have so much work to do and so much work that needs to be done. And, and I'm trying and, you know, I'm here to listen anything anyone wants to tell me about how I can be a better ally or advocate. I'm open ears and I'm here to make the effort. Like, I think that's, that's, that's our starting place. And and you know, you know, changing our language is is making the effort to be inclusive, and it's important. And and it's an effort, you know. It's it's a, a learning curve, and it, it's like learning to speak a new language in some sense. Not as hard as that, obviously, but it's just being very mindful uh, and and conscientious of of 
you know, not, I genuinely don't want to hurt anybody. I genuinely want people to feel loved and included. And so if, if people know that's the intention, then I think we're starting from a good place. Absolutely. I think also where it gets to be hard, well, not a hard, but it gets to be sticky is where people are talking about in erotica, like someone's writing a story about erotica. You're talking about male or female or, you know, the trans may identify as a male or female, but it's, it's hard to say in a story and have it be cohesive and smooth people with penises. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah. want to be inclusive, but I think if I say that, people are like, almost like it's not the norm. So it's like, how do you, how do you mesh all of this into a story of erotica? I mean, can you without it seeming awkward or just, I mean, I don't know know that you do because the, I mean, I think it's thinking about like the intended arousal of the person reading it because I have plenty of trans friends who want to hear about the man with the big hard dick or who right. want to hear about the right. woman with the big pussy, or who right. want to be completely fucking surprised and riveted by the woman with the big tits actually has a big, huge fucking dick, you right. know? Right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think, you know, in writing a story, the beauty is, is that you get to create the narrative and the characters however you want. And whoever chooses to be turned on by and read that story you know, I don't think it's offensive. I think it's it's a problem when, you know, you're, you're trans identifying and you ask your mother, Hey, can you call me by this name? Can you refer to me as this pronoun, you know, or it's a problem when someone in my field and you're going to speak to, uh, you know, a class of college students and you say, you know, female orgasm instead of orgasm of clitoris owners, you know? So I think that's, I think in erotica, it's, you know, your, it's your creative freedom. It's all about creativity. And, and I can't wait to listen to your podcast episode with the trans author who wrote the story oh, yes. about space. That's insane. The one with a brothel on the, the space station. Yes. One? Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. He's going to be so excited that we're talking about this. So <laughs> this is Gabriel Hargraves and he, this was really interesting in, in our, our talk. Our talk ended up being super long. He felt like was like the timing of things, like things were starting to inflame. And he thought, am I going to get this published? Am I going to get blocked by publishing this story? So he was like in sort of like a rush to get this out into the world because he felt like things were closing in, in and he calls it the purity police. Purity police, you know, policing all the people in there, what should be and what shouldn't be. And he was like, I got to the point where if all the things happening in the world, I felt like if I didn't publish this, I was going to be stopped somehow, some way. And so, I mean, and if you think about that, that's really interesting. And the other point that he had was, I would never get this published through Publishing House because the story is about sex workers and every agent, every publisher he approached wanted nothing to do with a story about sex workers. Wow. Yes. Yes. But think he has reached a lot of people and he has had a lot of success with his book because he self-published. He could put his own voice out there and was not censored. I think that's just beautiful. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so 
that's, I can't wait to read this book. (laughs) I just, I don't understand why people are so, first of all, he sounds like he's from the future. Like he's light years ahead of all of us. Right. I can't wait to go to the brothel on the space station. I hope I'm alive long enough to experience this. I know, right? Fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I have a friend who actually proposed a PhD thesis to Harvard and she studied, there's a prostitution observatory in Rio. And Mm. so she studied sex work. And so she wanted to get her PhD in, in studying sort of, sexonomics around the world you know every time there's a world cup or there's olympics there tends to be this you know people people freak out about human trafficking and that's really fascinating to me because if you look at the actual data anybody so in new york i think this has only recently changed but in new york if you're arrested for prostitution you go to human trafficking court so you're considered to be a trafficked person or a trafficker, depending on the severity of the charge. So, and, and I love, I love Kamala Harris and, you know, she's great. I'm so happy she's vice president. She did a lot of stuff in California and her time there to conflate human trafficking with prostitution. And I think that's something that we need to untangle in this country something that a lot of people don't realize when you hear these reports that like, oh my gosh, like these people were trafficked. It's oftentimes women who were trying to do sex work at the Super Bowl and there was a sting and they got arrested, you know, and wow. Yeah. So trafficking, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. Oh my God, it breaks my heart. It makes my stomach have a pit in it. I can't think of, yeah, you know, no. thinking of a child being trafficked, all of Pure that. torture. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a mental, like, awful, awful, horrendous thing. But I think, you know, politicians and people have been playing on really conflating these two issues. And so at the prostitution observatory in Rio that, you know, you see this in in Brazil, prostitution is technically legal. They have Vila Mimosa. I I actually visited, I went there and Mm. it's like one one of the biggest brothels in, in Rio. And and Copacabana, there are tons of, of trans sex workers, male sex workers. I mean, the sex worker industry in Brazil is unlike anything I've ever seen. Men wow. who are married to women will go work at the gay brothels, and it's no big deal. It's just what they do. And so the policing that was happening around the World Cup, the time of the World Cup and before the Olympics, and shutting down you know, these sex workers walking up and down the strip of Copacabana, and shutting down the brothels and in Copacabana, it was, you know, even though it was legal there, they wanted to hide it from the international. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, it's all just such a complex situation and people hear sex work and they freak out and they go, oh my gosh, that's dirty and horrible. But you know what? I think sex worker, sex workers are doing the Lord's work and yeah. they're, they're yeah. providing healing and love and empathy and connection and, you know, attention and affection to people who are so hungry and so yes. in need. And I think, you know, they're out there preventing, you know, 
much more atrocity and and damage and harm in the world because they are soothing people's souls. So I think there's such wisdom to be found in sex workers and I cannot even fathom what a book about brothel on a space station must be about. I can't wait to oh, read I it. <laughs> I know. Oh man. I mean, just, and so right now he's writing book two and I haven't even read book one yet, but I'm just like, I, that's on my reading list. And in fact, I need to add that to my Kindle. You know, it's just, just blew me away when, when I interviewed him and he told me his entire storyline. I was just like, whoa, I have never heard of a book like this ever. Good for you. Oh, that's amazing. So amazing. Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, gosh, it's like the most original. Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. Right. You know, and the other thing I want to say about what we just talked about, or what you just talked about, not me, you, why is it so different that a massage makes you feel good, but a sex worker making you feel good? Why is that so different? A fucking men. Yes. Preach. Okay. Like, (laughs) I mean, really? Yes. 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 Like we're even getting like your hair shampooed, you know, a scalp massage during your haircut. You feel awesome. Why is this so different when it's don't understand why it's so different when it's on your sexual organs. It's just another damn body part. They're all body parts. I mean, Yes. And you know what? When I get a massage, I always say sex is this thing we do. I say sex is not some thing we do. It's a place we go. And so for me, like I get a massage. I go places when I get a massage. You know, right. I fall asleep. I go places with the, right. the person massages my my head when I do my hair wash. So there's yeah, really yeah. not a difference. You know, it's, it's this Society loves to police sex because, and, and I think the reason it's just this wonderful paradoxical nature. If we didn't have sex, we wouldn't have society, but then society polices (laughs) sex to control society. So this really interesting conundrum, but you know, I think sex is a place where we go to experience freedom, abandon power, surrender, elation, degradation if we need that to feel free you know it's a place where we go to be completely liberated so that our naked ass selves can relish in the beauty (laughs) and wonder and endless exploratory adventure of discovering who we are and i think that terrifies people i think human spirit being that liberated is terrifying to the people who want to keep us within you know societies can the way society prescribes the way that we should be our, our, you know, conformity. No, um, they can all try, but no one control your thought process. It's not going to ever be possible. Nope. <laughs> they can try all the fuck they want, but they ain't going to win. And that is somebody who owns her power. When you say that, that is a woman that is so sexy and hot. You are a woman who owns your power. <laughs> You are a woman who is fully liberated and free. And, you know, anybody who would try to judge you or say something negative about you, that's a reflection on them and not a reflection of you because that's somebody uncomfortable with, with your liberation and with your, with your freedom. It's, 
it's so congrats, kudos. I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) I'm speaking my mind because that's how I, exactly how I feel. Amen. Absolutely. (laughs) So tell me where, what is the ultimate place in your area for people to exhibit exhibitionism? Ooh. Oh my gosh. New York. So like where to fuck in public in New York. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So I would say my favorite number one spot is a bathroom, but you wouldn't really even, I mean, yeah, it's a bathroom. It's the Hudson hotel bathroom across from the front desk and the library bar. It's huge. It's like all marble walls. It's gorgeous. The door locks and it's like, you're in this like private room. I've given many a blowjob there. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I think I my partner now of 11 and a half years, I blew him in the cinema of Norwood Club when we were first mm. dating, when there was not a movie showing. So just like this wonderful space. Sleep No More is another really fun space to fool around in. There are all these rooms. It's this live interactive show, but like you can kind of wander off on your own in the dark and everyone's wearing a mask. So everyone in the audience wears a mask. So it makes it very fun because like, you know, you don't really know the people that you're looking at. I don't know what it's like now since COVID happened. I mean, you know, when I say wearing a mask, you were wearing like a, a face mask, not a like, you know, party mask or a Halloween mask. Yeah. Well, you're wearing a you were wearing like a party mask, not like oh, the, okay, okay, COVID protection mask. I don't, I don't know what. I mean, I don't even know if it's open right now. To be honest with you, maybe it is. Who knows? But the the unisex bathrooms at Lebane, which is atop the boom 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 room, if you can sneak in without the attendant seeing you, the views of the city and the skyline. They have all these floor to ceiling glass windows. Are the views are just stunning? So getting fucked from behind, looking at the city in that bathroom is amazing. Dressing rooms at a lot of mm, places, department yes. stores. I once ate a girlfriend's pussy in the dressing room at Bloomingdale's while we were trying on Asian provocateur lingerie and they had brought a champagne. And I was like, well, let's just have some fun in here. Nice. Um, so that was fun. And the Plaza Hotel, obviously lots of fun places to get lost. Essential Park at the right time of day or night. There, are, I mean, that's kind of like the the go-to place. I think the rambles used to be like the gay hookup spot. I think mm. last time I went walking through there with my baby, we saw condom wrappers and I was like, well, Central Park's still getting it. You know, <laughs> there's a place on 17th and 7th called Merchants had my first threesome there with two guys mm. when I was 17. Wow. Um, uh, well, actually I didn't have it there at the time. It was a bartender and I was 17. I was drinking there. So thanks merchants. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, I took the bartender home, Edward, and his roommate, Gustavo, and mm. had, had fun. But anyway, the bathroom at Merchants <laughs> um, downstairs, I've since used the bathroom for lots of, of fun things. And there's a curtain to even go, you know, into the bathroom area. And then it's like this private stall. Um, 
And then Soho House, New York and Meatpacking, the fourth floor, last bathroom stall, gorgeous bathroom, Ludlow House, (laughs) third floor, Velvet Room, has a really nice big stall that's like beautiful. Manhattan Mini Storage Facility is also fun. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Lots of fun places in in New York. Lots of parks, you know. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's just wonderful. Lots of stories, erotica stories that could come from all of that shit. Oh my gosh. So, oh, and I can't forget the Muse Hotel has bathroom stalls. And I mean, I hate that I'm talking about bathrooms. You'd think I like the smell of urine. <laughs> and I don't. I totally don't. It's just they have locks on them. And if I know it's um, a little private place to go that no one sees you and it's kind of sort of a little bit public too. Totally. Yeah, the Muse Hotel has bathrooms, seven different stalls that floor to ceiling doors so you don't see feet or anything. And mm. they're each named after the seven deadly sins. So, ah, intriguing. Yeah. So much uh, creativity there. Hmm. Yeah. And if you have a car, some of the dead in cul de sacs in Tudor City or Sutton Place can be, can be really fun. And then, you know, I, I remember I was broken up with an ex-boyfriend and I won't even name his name because he doesn't deserve it, but we were Uh, still living together and, and I brought a guy over and blew him and got eaten out in the stairwell of our apartment building. So I feel Mm. like stairwells of hotels and apartment buildings, like if you can get in, just go to the stairwell and you can do all kinds of things. That's true. I mean, think about the body support there. Totally. Yeah. And you've got, the I mean, it's, it's different than a couch. A couch has like this big dip in the middle, you know, it's like your butt can sink down into it, but stairs, I mean, damn, that's like a full body support right there. Totally. Yeah. It's great. It's perfect. Oh yes. <laughs> I have no idea why this popped into my head, but I want to know your take on dogging. Dogging. Do you know about dogging? I don't know about dogging. Please tell me. What do I, why do oh I? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, you know, in doing what I do, I'm kind of exposed to people all around the world and people talk to me about all different things. And this is a really big thing in England. It does happen here as well. Dogging is where a couple goes to a predetermined location. And often there's like communities that do this. Okay. This is throughout, apparently, this is throughout the United States, throughout England. It, this is a very common thing. It's just very hidden. And people go to these predetermined spots. It could be a park. It could be a parking lot. It could be somewhere just out in public. And they just meet there to have sex. And so it's a community. So people know each other. Only people who know about the location and the time and the spot meet there. So they'll just fuck. Some people will actually engage. Some people will just watch. But it's a thing where... I know a man who does this with his wife and he takes her there and he loves to watch her get fucked by other men and it turns him on and then he has sex with her afterwards, but he takes her to the location and she has sex with all these men and this is real. This really happens. And then people either are watching or people are partaking and she wants to do this. He wants to do this. And it's something that happens. Wait, so is but that's like, so it's not just cuckolding. It, dogging is like the arranging of like seeing other, like voyeurism, seeing other people have sex or dogging is like cuckolding. 
And generally, people who are doing the dogging are people who engage in it. There may be other people there watching it, but usually people that are going to the dogging are the people that want to engage in, like this man likes to watch his woman get fucked by multiple other men. So it's set up in advance. The location is determined. So the only people that show up there are people that know about this. So it's very specific. It's very controlled. It's very, they consider it to be safe. Some people will use a condom. Some people will not. Some people will do bareback. And so there are communities that do this, ironically, around the United States. And it's also very common in England. And it's called dogging. But it's, it's completely different than cuckolding. Or yes. Yes, okay. it is because it's different than cuckolding. Because cuckolding to me is more like the woman if it's a hot wife, a woman goes out and does this on her own and then comes back and tells him about it. This is where he is involved and actually is being more like a dom, more like watching out for her, making sure nothing bad happens. Like the man that I know that does this, watching over her, sort of trying to guide the men, the men who are fucking her are doing something that she doesn't like. And he knows this. He might try to stop that behavior or direct it. So he's kind of like more the director of the scenario. Yes. So this is her fantasy and his fantasy as well. I mean, if I'm going to meet up to get fucked by a bunch of guys, I want to make sure somebody's going to look out for me, you know? Right, (laughs) right. And that's what they do. And this man that I know that does this has done this for 30 years with his wife. Oh, wow. I've never heard the term dogging. I love that. You need to look that up online a total thing. And when I first heard about it, I heard about it from this man who was in England. And I thought, oh, this just happens in England. Well, subsequently I found out, no, it happens here as well. It's in America. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, I have, I have friends here who meet up for gang bangs and I, Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. tell me all their stories. And like, it's usually like one, maybe two women and mostly men having sex with them. And sort of like watching and, you know, I'm well-versed in, in the cuckolding community. There's a huge one in Tampa. I've got some right. clients there, which this sounds similar. It's a similar mm-hmm. thing, but I've just never heard the term docking before. That's amazing. It is. I really feel like it sort of more originated over in England. I don't know if it happens in other countries over in that area, but. Um... I'm sure, you know, like if humans can jerk off to it or come to it. It's happening everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's an interesting phenomenon. And it's, it's interesting that it's different than cuckolding because I feel like cuckolding is more like they're going out and doing it and then they'll come back in and telling them about it. Yeah. Or like telling their partner, like, this is what I did or, you know, or like, and there's something I'm in my pussy. Why don't you suck right. it out or something? Yeah. Exactly. This is different. This is the partner is there. The partner is like sort of the director doing and making sure that his partner is getting and needing what she needs and not crossing any of her boundaries. Yeah. And I think with the cuckolds and the cuckolding sort of communities that I've experienced in terms of my work, not actually experienced firsthand, but like in terms of the people I've spoken to, they we're not necessarily there to make sure, you know, she got what she wanted or there were no boundaries crossed. They were really there to watch and, and sort of be turned on and, and sort of, I think some of them really enjoyed the emasculation of it. Yeah. Yes. So I think this is, sounds like it's a very 
scenario in some it sense. It is. It is. And, 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 you know, and he has a friend who also does with this with his wife too. So it's, it's interesting that this exists in like an under layer of life that nobody really knows unless they look into it. You know, like I never heard of it until I met this man on, on Twitter and I had never heard of dogging. I had never heard of the situation. And the more he told me, it was just very interesting that it's more that he's creating, fulfilling her fantasies, but it's also his fantasy as well. Yeah. But he's not separate yeah. from it. He's not like away at home waiting to hear about it. He is like integral and he is involved and he's like, he's like the director, the facilitator. He's not just a bystander. Right. And I feel like the cuckold is more, it's more about what she wants to do. And, and it's more about him submitting to whatever she wants as right. as might be. Yeah. Right. So it's a stronger role of the partner in the dogging where they're more being more like a dom, more like, you know, this is what's going to happen. And I'm, if this is, if this goes this way, I'm going to push it that way and I'm going to control this and I'm going to make this right for her. Oh my gosh, that's, I'm so happy that you talked me about <laughs> dogging tonight. This is great. I know, I just, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad I brought that up. Yeah, me too. I, I love it. I literally, I'm going to text some of my friends and be like, what do you know about dogging? I know you know something. <laughs> I, I don't know how the term came up. I don't know why it's called dogging. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that's what it is. And <laughs> it's a thing. Oh my gosh. That's and like how many other things are out there that we don't know about, which is, you know, and this is like, you know, we are in this, this line of work. And in, in a sense, I hear about people's fantasies and experiences all the time. And here I am learning about dogging for the first time. That's like, how much other stuff is there? <laughs> Oh, I know. Right. I know. I was just talking with my last guest and I just interviewed that interview went live today. She's like, there's a damn fetish for everything. Once I think I know every fetish and all of a sudden I hear another one and I'm like, just okay. But she's, you know, she's like, I'm not surprised by anything anymore, but still there's still new fetishes she hears about. I'm like, you're right. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite things to do is to look at like random, like I'll type in random search terms into Etsy, like oh, all yeah. type in like butt stuff or like, and I guess there's this whole like genre of butt plugs that people make on Etsy. They're really, really creative. And it's just stuff that like blows my mind that I would never think is out there. And sure right. enough, it's out there. Yep. Yep. I run into that stuff too. I mean, it's just unbelievable. People creativity, are. the imagination, <laughs> the yeah. reaching for people. It's just it's phenomenal. So good. <laughs> I know a woman who makes, why am I struggling for the name of things? It's like straps all over your body. I'm like trying to figure out what the name of it. So she does corsets and what's a thing called where it's like straps all over your body, but it's just like straps everywhere. I don't know. I can't think of it, but she makes these and she makes like them a harness? like a harness. Yeah. Like a harness, but it's like, can be like all over your torso, but it's just straps. It's not like covering your nipples or anything. It's just like straps everywhere. I there's mean, there's some, I, well, I don't know the name, but there's like high end lingerie that makes that like Fleur du Mall and Asian provocateur. Mm. Like okay, yeah. Stuff. Right. 
Yeah. It's just amazing to me that she just like sits in her house and makes this stuff and just like, you know, puts it on the internet and sells it. I'm like, wow, this is pretty damn cool. And she'll like pound out these like corsets and stuff and just like sell them. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's like just so like manual and so like just intricate at the same time. I was like, that's pretty damn cool. You know, like how do you, how do you develop that kind of a, a, a talent? Yeah. I'm like, will you send me her info? I want one. <laughs> I know. Right. I know I will. She's, <laughs> that's she's, awesome. amazing. she's, she's a, she's a poly. She's in a poly triad and she's, yeah, she's very fascinating. I'll have to send you her, her stuff. I, you know, she's, she makes all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> oh my but I'm God. like, how did how do you learn how to make this stuff? How do you know how to like work with leather and like just make it to you know, I'm not a person who actually likes leather, but like how do you learn how to do that? How do you where does that come from? I guess maybe just trying it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm like thinking if she's making these beautiful like corset harness, like full body, you know pieces of art like what else is she making that we don't know about like does I know she, right does she have some like you know ball harnesses or like you know oh like, I should uh, tell her to make that yes <laughs> I mean like I've never seen that that's a thing that should maybe perhaps be made <laughs> yeah that would be cool just like there's just there's so many things have you ever been to the world erotic art museum in Miami no my gosh, highly recommend the, the woman who started it was just this phenomenal. She's passed away now, but she was just this phenomenal force of a woman. And the collection she amassed is just one of the most amazing collections of erotic artwork. I mean, she's got stuff, you know, that dates back hundreds thousand some some things I mean blows your mind because you realize human eroticism and you know our our drive to be turned on by things has you know been there obviously since since the beginning but it's you know you see these little figurines of priests standing over a coffin and you pull the coffin back and he's got this big erection and he's jerking off and you're like you know, this is what they would look at and get off to in like the 1400s. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. what? And, <laughs> and and then, of course, they have fertility pieces from different tribes and, and different cultures around the world. But just to realize that, like, you know, there was porn before there was porn. And yeah. we've been making and creating things to to really accentuate and, you know, elaborate on our ideas and visions of the human body and the human form. It's it's pretty cool. It is. It's very interesting to look back in time and see where certain cultures have either celebrated or acknowledged sexuality more than others. And I think it's funny and just very odd. I don't understand the oscillation of going into where it's really celebrated and then it's not. And then it's, you know, things are diminished and then things are really celebrated. It's like things oscillate back and forth. And it's, I'm not quite sure why. Is it because of the people who are in power at the time? It's it's highly intriguing, but it certainly is not static. Yeah. 
Totally. It does. It's like a pendulum. It goes back and forth. And sometimes I think we need the, you know, I don't think we need shame. Like, in fact, one of my goals is to try to eradicate shame in general overall, but like shame sure does make things hotter, you know, shame. It can. Yes. Yeah. It makes, makes the taboo more taboo. Like I might not feel shame about something, but because I know a lot of people think it's naughty or bad, I I rel- revel and relish in doing it a little bit more. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? <laughs> I get that. It's like a good bad. Yeah, it's a good bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get off. So that's good. But yeah, maybe the origin may not necessarily be good, but the getting off is good. Yeah, totally, totally. But still dealing with that shame and like talking about it with other people, talking about it with your partner. It's a balance and it's a dance. Yeah, it is. And then thinking about it just in the grander scheme of like society and power dynamics and power structures and, you know, to what you were saying, like how things are okay and celebrated and, you know, anything that revolves around the birth of a child or having a kid, it's celebrated, but anything to do with sex outside of that is shameful and dirty. And it's, that's crazy. You know, like, it's just wild to me. Like, and like, where would we be as a society if in order to have children, women had to have an orgasm? Because oh, I know, right? A lot less populated of a place, or we would have figured it out, and women would probably have semblance of equality in society. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. I I loved your discussion in one of your articles about is it the Netherlands, right? The Netherlands that has a different, entirely different, is it Netherlands has di- entirely different approach to sex ed where they start teaching it in kindergarten? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's crazy to me here in America. I'm going to go off topic really quick. We just started watching this show called Becoming You. I think that, is that what it's called, Reed? Becoming You? Yeah. Becoming You. It's on Netflix. And the first okay. episode shows this three-year-old Japanese boy going out on his first experience of independence and they give him money and he has to go to the store and buy, you know, sushi or something. I think it's sushi. It is sushi. He buys sushi and then he has a little bit of change and he goes to a little gumball machine or whatever and shows him walking through Tokyo, a three-year-old. We wow. never do that. No, never, 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 never. And, and so, so I, my partner works with a gentleman who's Japanese. And so he asked him about it today and he's like, yeah, we have, I think he said the ages were like three, five and seven. And they have these, these independence sort of challenges or, you know, to do things and they're celebrated and there are these rituals around it. And so, you know, in America and the other, my partner's Scandinavian. And so I went to visit some of his family in Finland and we were walking around and these kids from the school playground come over and they, and we're picking like blueberries off of other people's property and it's no big deal. Yeah, and right. mushrooms, No big deal. And these kids come over and they come pet the dog lucky and they're like, Oh, we love the little dog. And I'm like, the fuck? No kids would ever be allowed to leave no. their playground in America. Like no. what? Like, no. and what is a three-year-old in Tokyo doing running around? Like they're pedophiles. We're all freaked out and scared in America. No doubt. And, and so like our culture here is, is 
don't know what it is. I was thinking about this long and hard today. Is there some sense of oppression of taking? Is it is it tied back to capitalism? Like I'm not an anti-capitalist, da, 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 but like, what is it about our culture that that causes us to just be so overly protective and fearful? We are just this. Yes. We're still these Puritans who are so scared. Yes. And back to to your original question, the fact is is that we teach sex education from a fear based yes. standard. Fear and, and anxiety. What, Fear and anxiety. anxiety. What's going to happen if you do this? Yeah. And I mean, one of the most horrifying stories I hear when I talk to college students about their experiences with sex ed in high school, if they even had sex ed. Oh, no, um, right. And, you know, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but of the states that require some form of sex ed, I think it's only 13 states require that that sex ed be medically accurate. So mm. that how, you know, how much we're failing. I've, I've heard, Horrible. I've, I've had Horrible. students tell me like, what's, you know, what's the biggest piece of misinformation you've heard from sex ed? And I hear everything from, well, there are microscopic holes in condoms, so don't even bother using them, to, well, drinking bleach might help prevent, oh. you know, pregnancy. I mean, just Jeez. crazy stuff. But the main story I hear across the board from kids in America, college students from their experience in sex education, the one story, regardless of the state they're from, this blows my fucking mind. I can't even tell you. They tell me that the teacher has them take a piece of tape, put it on their arm, and take the piece of tape off and put it back. And they say, every time you have sex, your vagina becomes looser and looser the same oh my way that gosh. piece of tape loses its stickiness. No, and no. I always say to them, so if I'm a woman who has sex with 50 men, I'm going to have a really loose vagina. But if I have sex 50 times with the same man, my husband, and the only person I've ever had sex with, hypothetically, that's not the same thing. And it's just such fucking bullshit. Bullshit. And- that's the word that came to my mind when you said that is fucking bullshit yeah it's and sex ed in america is so oh my broken gosh. And, that's and, disturbing beyond so many levels i can't even say oh and i'm telling you kids from california kids from new york kids from rhode island kids from texas literally i've heard this story so many times i started keeping track at one point and i stopped counting at 15 i was like this is ins- like who 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 planted this disgusting poisonous rotten seed and why are, you know, you know, it impacts the clitoris owners. It, impa- it impacts female identifying people, I think, the most because, you know, that's that's who it impacts people who own vaginas the most because they're being told, you know, if you have sex, you're bad and you're a big, dirty whore and your vagina is going to get loose. You know, what kind of fucking teacher says that shit? That's what I want to know. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck those people. Like, it's wild. So about the Netherlands. You know, when you hear, oh my God, they're teaching sex ed in kindergarten, sounds crazy, but they're not teaching, this is how sex happens and this is how babies are made and the penis, they're not teaching any of that, which by the way, great sex does not need to involve a penis and a vagina. Like the best sex can be (laughs) still a sex. Exactly. Close-minded people. (laughs) Yeah. And what they're teaching is consent. They're teaching relationship nice. education. They're saying, if you want, to, is there someone here in the room that you want to hug? And a kid might say, yeah. Okay. Why don't you ask that person? May I hug? 
Right. And that's, that's what they're teaching. And can you imagine if we just taught basic relationship skills? Like if we can revamp American education to teach basic financial literacy and basic relationship skills, we would be just fucking golden, but you know, here we are. No, we teach from angle of fear, like, you know, being molested. Don't touch me there. Yeah. Teach kids to say, don't touch me there. You adult, you other person, don't touch me there. That's not okay. But we don't teach consent. No, we say, yeah, we say, go sit on grandpa's lap, go sit on Santa's lap, go hug your grandma, go kiss them, go do this. We don't allow our children to have any bodily autonomy or agency. And it's ridiculous. It teaches them that if somebody tells me I should go kiss somebody, if I, if I teach my son, go kiss grandma, go kiss mom, not mom, go kiss my mom, you know, go kiss your grandma. Yeah. Then when he's with somebody who is going to ask him for a kiss, or going to say, kiss me who he shouldn't be kissing. He's not going to know the difference. Like it's, it's right. just, it's right. so important to, to teach basic consent. And also, you know, you don't want your kid going to preschool and going up to somebody and, you know, pulling their hair or kissing them or touching them. It's like, and you want to just teach them the appropriate names for things, you know, and teaching them boundaries right away, teaching them boundaries. We all have boundaries. Why are we not teaching the respect of that? It's not just someone coming and invading your space. It's they respect your boundaries. You respect their boundaries. Yes. It's like, it's like in America, all we teach is respect that other people can't touch you, but it's not respect their boundaries as well. Right. It's, it's so true. And, you know, what's crazy is that America still after Russia has the highest teen pregnancy rate of any developed country. And yet we're, you know, the richest nation in the world and zero cents. Zero sense. And, you know, we have one of the highest STI rates in the world right, of any right. developed country. And so it's, it's just appalling and embarrassing. And it's unfortunate yep. that because we're so fear and shame based that we, you know, in my opinion, I think it's abuse. I think it's neglect. I think it's right. not responsible. People so many parents who are terrified of speaking to their kids about these incredibly imperative issues like pornography, real life sex versus what is porn, like consent, you know, these are the same parents who they can't have these conversations with their kids because they can't actually have these conversations with each other as partners or with people they're dating. If they're not, you know, with their partners anymore, they're people who can't talk about sex. And it's just this thing that just keeps continually happening generation after generation, the lack of conversation around these things just gets passed on and passed on. And, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take, you know, my lifetime, it's going to take generations to fix this in this country, to be honest. It's, it's just a tragedy. It's amazing to me that that happens here. And, but you know, it's like people like your mom that breaks through that shit. You know, it's like my mom would have never done that, you know, and I have another disturbing thing to say. My dad did not want my sister and I to use tampons. My God. Because it entered our fucking pussy. So we had to wear pads. I mean, look at how fucked up that shit is. You know who taught us about 
tampons was my sister's friend. My sister was three years younger than I. And she taught us about the OB tampons, which are the ones that don't have like the casing. It's like you push it up there. And my sister and I had no idea what the fuck she was talking about. And we're like, oh, we just have all these like pad things. And the really sad thing was I have like (laughs) super sensitive skin. Yeah, that's like too much personal information. But like, you know, I would get rash from like, you know, something wet sitting there. So like when she told us about this OB thing, it changed my life because I no longer was miserable for an entire week because I didn't have this freaking inflammation going on in my groin because I was using tampons for the first time in my fucking life. And then you you could go swimming like, yes, yes. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here going like, how did you not? Yes. Oh no, I didn't swim. It's like so much worse. I didn't swim. Talk about an impressive youth that I had. I know, right? Like, look uh, at me now and look at my, <laughs> my youth. But seriously, I mean, how disturbing is that? That that was so just so just wrong and compact and like just oppressive. And it, I mean, it's it's still happening around the world. I hate to say it, like so. Right. I was I was a part of a coalition here in New York. And we, I don't know what it's like where you are, but we worked to eradicate the tax on, they put a luxury tax on pads and tampons. There's like, Uh, and and, and, yeah, like it's a luxury to fucking (laughs) eat every month. Are you kidding me? And so what the fuck? Yeah. So, so as I was a part of this coalition, I learned that around the world, there's such shame around having your period. The very fucking thing that gives life to this oh, world. That brings gosh, life so fucked up. And, and so in Nepal, in some rural parts of Nepal, oh, where the woman is on her period, they put her in a mud hut and she's isolated oh. from the rest of the family. She, sometimes women starve, they miss school. They get raped. They get attacked by animals. In Kenya, they believe that if a woman who's menstruating touches the livestock or the goats or the the agriculture, she'll poison them. Like there are just so many fucked up beliefs around, you know, people being afraid of, you know, bleeding uterus that, and it's, it's so messed up. And, and my whole thing is that we glorify blood in sports in fighting oh, right. in the boxing ring. We glorify, right. you know, the blood of That's the tough. Moon, That's a tough person. The blood of brothers, the blood of right. Christ, but God forbid uh, the blood of a woman oh go gosh. anywhere. It's fucking nasty. It's such bullshit. I can't. Oh, I can't even. I cannot even. It's <laughs> unfair. Fucking believable. I need a I need a wine refill right now. I'm like, I, know, I, I, I need like an f- entire glass of wine down my throat to tolerate that fucking shit. I mean, seriously, that is so fucked up. It's beyond it's all my comprehension. Yeah. So it's like it's so silly. Like people love watching blood and guts and gore on TV, and they're uh. like, yeah. And then it's like, oh my god, period tampons, like. Sit the fuck down. Pussies are stronger than balls. We take a pounding and we give birth. Okay. <laughs> right. I know. Who was that said that? Was that Betty, Betty White? White. Yes, oh, I love fucking <laughs> Betty White. And you know, it's so annoying. I love Betty White. But then she dies. And everybody's like, Betty, Betty White's so awesome. I'm like, she's fucking awesome a long fucking time ago, you fucking morons. Hell yeah. Betty White's the jam. Oh, she was, she was awesome. And she's one of her quotes. I was like, well, you know who can take a fucking, what was it? Who can take a fucking pounding? Yeah. 
It's a fucking pussy. Yeah, uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> why do you call? Why is pussy derogatory? Pussy's taking fucking pounding. Balls are the sensitive ones. <laughs> I know, right? All right, I know. <laughs> if, oh wait, I have to ask you this. So, if you were going to be a golden girl, which one would you be? Oh damn! Well, I love, I love. I'm drawing a blank on their damn names. What's the one that was very overt sexually? Blanche, Blanche yes. Devereaux. <laughs> I love her like expression, her expressive sexuality, which is just like yes. out there, you know. I love that. I, I I totally love that about her, you know. And I think Betty White's character did not reflect Betty White. No, not at all. She was like Rose Nyland, so so yeah, naive. Yeah. So it kind of seems like Blanche. Is that what you said, Blanche? Yeah, Blanche. Yeah, Blanche. Blanche was like the more overt one. So I guess I'd pick her because I would rather be more expressive than hidden. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> if we're ever single and old, I'll I'll live in a house with you because we could both be Blanche and and have our boy <laughs> toys. That would be fun. <laughs> Perfect. I'm in, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Such a Absolutely. great. Fantastic. So what are you thinking about right now? I was actually just thinking like, if you were someone from Sex in the City, who, who would you be? But like now the new Sex in the City, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but they don't have Samantha. So it's basically. I haven't either. Why is she not there? I haven't figured that out why, yet. Why? I think they just, I don't know. I think they didn't get along, but I just call it mm. the city because you can't be sent in the city without Samantha. So it's I know, just, right? Like, it's just not the same. It's kind of like, why do point? it? Yeah. I think the new character is lesbian or or non-binary. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it. One of my friends went to acting school and she's in it, but. Oh, nice. Well, you know, if she feels a good spot and it just seems like real and full and just like accurate accurate to herself. I think it could work. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's nice to see diversity in television. It's so yes. overdue. So, I mean, I haven't seen the show, so I don't, I don't, I can't comment on it, but when I was younger, I used to say, I don't watch sex in the city because I am sex in the city. But then I watched <laughs> it like seven years later and I was like, Oh, actually this is a great show. So <laughs> yeah, it is a great show. I haven't seen a lot of episodes, but I like the ones that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, can't be I just, I don't know. I want to see a raunchy version of just like, I want to see like <laughs> getting dicked down in the city, you know? <laughs> I know, right? I love that. You know, he could do that would be SNL. Yes. They could so do that. They should do that. Getting dicked down in the city. And it would be a parody of sex in the city minus her. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be amazing. It would, would be amazing. We should like send them that idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love it. Oh, so good. So good. So are you watching anything good right now that like flips your trigger? Well, I love to watch things, but right now I'm kind of listening to some books of authors that I'm going to have on the podcast right now. I'm listening to the dude that does that wrote the book conscious cock. Oh my gosh. I haven't. Even I am loving it. Yeah, I'm so excited. Do you mind if I pee again? Oh my gosh, my legs no, are shaking like fucking crazy. I've had two go glasses of wine, so of course that means I need to pee. <laughs> okay. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. I'm here. I'm okay, shoving bites okay. of dinner in my mouth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> eat. Oh, take your time. If you need to eat, please eat. No, it's all good. Okay. So yeah, I'm listening to Conscious Cock right now. When I go on the treadmill, that's my thing. You know, I, I, I like to watch shows on the treadmill, but when I have a 
you know, a guest coming on and he has an audio book. So I'm listening to Conscious Cock and I am loving his book. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great advice for men. I'm going to interview him next week. So I'm really excited about that. You know, I think it's so important for us to, I feel like, and this is all heteronormative speak where I'm going and, and not really heteronormative, just like gender, gendered speak. But I feel like as, as women, we have support systems and we chat with each other and, you know, we have lots of friends, we call up, we say, oh, I'm having issues with things. I feel like guys don't really have that same social support network that we have. True. And I think, you know, I think the more we can nurture that and, and connect that, the more we're going to help society overall and in general kind of be more at peace and, and just have more, I mean, back to sex workers, like before the sex workers who see men, I mean, even the gay sex workers who see men, you know, and the trans sex workers who see men, it's, they're doing a service to people who need connection, who need empathy, who need right. someone to socialize with. Yep. These are, you know, not, not all of them are very lonely, but you know, there are married people who are extremely lonely. So, right. so I just think it's so wonderful that, that you're bringing that to the forefront and, you know, how do we, how do we create empowered sexuality? And, and I just kind of read a, a little snippet about conscious cock and I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. I can't wait to <laughs> to check it out. So I, I think it's great that you're highlighting that and, and interviewing him because we just, we need, we need more of that. Like as much as we need to close the orgasm gap, we also need to figure out why, and we need to, you know, educate partners to, to help us out with that too, you know? Absolutely. And what I love about what he's presenting to the world is that he's got, he's got his book and then he's got all these worksheets that the, you know, the man can fill out and discuss with his partner. And then he's got the book instructing everyone. And then he's also got a Facebook group where he encourages people then to go in there and discuss things and ask questions. So he's kind of like going at it from all these different directions. And I just think it's 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 so comprehensive that is it's gonna make a difference. Even if it makes a difference in a small portion of society, it's still something. Oh my gosh. It's so something. I hope that Facebook doesn't, I mean, I, I see it's like, you know, social media is really, it's so tough with anything sexual, but we'll see that it's a private group. So that's really good. Yes, exactly. And he, you know, he encourages everybody, you know, if you need to ask something, you need to say something, this is a brotherhood. We're going to just, just talk about it. And he's just so I don't know. I'm just, I'm very impressed. So I'm interested in talking with him, interested in talking with him and just finding out what he's thinking and what he's doing. And he just, he just approaches it from multi-levels. So I just feel like it's going to be so comprehensive that it's going to make a difference in, even if it's just a subset of America, it's going to make, it's going to make some sort of difference. Oh my gosh. It's so needed. I love the cover of the book. I, I'm I know, right? <laughs> and I love that he narrates it himself. Like the narration is Tim, the author. He's doing it himself. 
That's so, so refreshing and so needed. Oh my gosh. I'm subscribing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like totally fascinated. I'm like, and the crazy thing to me is, okay, so get this. They messaged me back in September and somehow their message got lost. Blame it on social media. I don't know, some kind of weird voodoo, whatever. And one day I decided to check on my hidden messages on Instagram and there was their message. And I'm like, he would like to be on your podcast. Would you like, and this was back in September. And I just got the message like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I'm like, wow. well, oh yeah, I want to have him on my podcast. <laughs> I'm like, why did this message get like hidden and lost? And why? Who put this there? But then, then I'm like, oh, yay, it finally got to me. But I'm like, oh, what took it so long to fucking reach me? The hell is that shit? Some hidden like Instagram voodoo. I mean, it happens. It's and you know what? Maybe it's all about timing because you know now there's this great book, and he's probably right. been on a bunch of other podcasts, so he's True. like knows like you know what what he wants to talk about more. And I don't know. I feel like timing just always works out. That's a good the way point. It's a highly good point. Yes, I agree. Oh, so what are what are your plans for the rest of tonight? Well, I guess, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty damn good. I've had a good portion of my bottle of wine. It's been very delicious and enjoyable. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I Same. can't complain about that. I've had a damn good day. I've had some good progress and can't complain about that. How about oh, you? I'm, I'm like, if I ever have a podcast, I want to interview you. I have so many questions for you. You sound so like sexy and interesting and fun. <laughs> oh, I'm all in. <laughs> I I'm all in. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our discussion. It was so much fun. Oh, same. And you are doing such amazing work and thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and you're so much fun to chat with. I've had a blast. I have too. It was really fun. Cool. And then like, however I can help promote your work and the podcast, just let me know. And I would be more than happy to. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Yeah. Ditto. Oh, lots of girl love, lots of hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for listening to that. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. It was unbelievable. I could not believe we talked for two and a half hours. Seriously, that was like not what I expected, but I loved it. I had so much fun talking to Mal. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this too. And I hope you learned fun, sexy, amazing stuff about the body, the female body, about sex, about sexuality, sensuality. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on. But thank you so much for listening. And you can find links for Mal down in the podcast notes and my links. I'll put my link tree with all my links in there. And of course, I have my books on Amazon, my erotic books, Ruin Willow, and my audiobooks that I have narrated. You can go to my website at ruinwillowauthor.com. I'm also on Medium. Check me out on Medium if you're there, or just go and check out Medium anyways. It's such a great 
place to be for so much erotic stories, quick reads, and any topic you can possibly think of. It's so worth it to join Medium. It's like five bucks a month. So worth it. (laughs) All these short, amazing reads, and there are longer ones on there too, but it's just a great place to be. And let's see, what else do I want to say? Find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Oh, I'll put all my links down in the podcast notes so you could easily click through and find me elsewhere. Okay, thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to my podcast. Leave me a rating. I would love to hear your thoughts. And thanks again for listening and I hope you have an amazing fucking sexy day. Love ya. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.